Hey. hey, cheers. Cheers. Welcome to the shores. Welcome. Mm. That was a very uh, uh, <laughs> grunt of satisfaction. <laughs> ah. It's finally Wednesday. <laughs> it's finally Wednesday. We get to just blabber. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this might be a, a really, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, a ramble? A ramble because Matt and I haven't talked in like five days. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's pretty crazy. <laughs> I know. It's very abnormal. Uh-huh. <laughs> I went out of town. What? Yeah. On a vacation? Kind of, yeah. Coronacation? A coronacation. <laughs> um, uh, red hot chili peppers. Coronation. Right <laughs> <laughs> Californication. Yeah. yeah. Um, COVID coronation. Yeah, which is weird. I haven't been out of town in quite a long time. How did it feel? Do you, did it feel weird or normal? Or? It felt absolutely normal. Really? Although I wasn't like necessarily in another town. I was on a, a property mm. that somebody owns. So it was a little bit more intimate and, you know, like full of friendly people, friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like, it felt like a, a respite from everything. When you got there, like how long did it take you to kind of <clears throat> settle or were you like settled immediately? <clears throat> um, yeah, pretty immediate. It's like, you know, I think we talked about this. The last trip maybe I took was when you and I went to, to West Texas for Big mm. Bend. And it's like the drive out there kind of orients you a little bit. Totally. And I didn't go near that far. I was like 40 <laughs> minutes out of town. But it kind of oriented me and uh, got there, you know, had a beer and was just like relaxed and ready. Yeah. Yeah. That's well. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> but we haven't been talking for the past week. <laughs> yeah. Um, like we normally would. Mm-hmm. So... What do we got to talk about? I don't know. We didn't send each other like the 9,000 uh, tweets and articles and yeah, I podcasts. Barely, I barely looked at Twitter all weekend. It was great. <laughs> I know. You were just ignoring me, man. That <laughs> <laughs> no, was really funny. Like after like, uh, I think it was after, uh, maybe it was on Saturday, I realized I was like, oh no, it's like. I need to not inundate Matt with all my, <laughs> all my things. So I just start taking pictures of things and to remind me of like all the things I need. Yeah. To. I'm by the river. Leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. Well, you need that. Uh, it's like, you need to be able to like get out of this ever yeah. so often. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And being, being in the water too, like the, um, you know, the season is just now getting, uh, like amicable to swimming and just getting to swim was so refreshing. Mm. It's great. Was this a Colorado river? They said it was the Texas Colorado, which I didn't, I don't know if that's a real thing or <laughs> not. Like apparently it's a branch off the Colorado. Gotcha. Yeah. Or they're just like, fuck Colorado. This is a Texas, Texas Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Notice Texas is first. It's first. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is it? Uh, uh, Tennessee university. Uh, um, university of Texas, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, anyways. We don't have a Texas university, do we? A TU, we have a TCU, yeah, and also I went to Texas State University, oh, yeah. <laughs> which was southwest mm-hmm. at the time. So, mm-hmm. well, you wanted to talk about zeitgeists, I did, or I, the zeitgeist. The, the zeitgeist. Can there be two? Can, can zeitgeist be plural? I think it's, I think it can be, I think there can be a lot of different zeitgeists. I think. I think there's levels of zeitgeist, you know, like surface false. And then those who are 
I think those who are earth, earth movers and shakers, they are able to get to the more fundamental zeitgeist of our time hmm. uh, to be able to see. It's almost like a, I would say it's almost equivalent to being a prophet or something like that. You know, it's like, uh, there's actually, there's a sons of Issachar in the Bible talks about how they were known. They were very, they were known to know the signs of the times, Mm -hmm. which is very similar to a zeitgeist. You know, it's like understanding the, the time, the spirit of the time, Mm -hmm. the fundamental Mm -hmm. part of the zeitgeist. What would you say a false zeitgeist would be? Um, well, it's, it's, it's usually some sort of a distraction from, um, I would say it's a distraction from what the zeitgeist truly is. Like, I think right now our focus is on so many things that are, um, dividing us and tearing us apart. Uh, and also just creating more problems. You know, you're in a lot of, a lot of places right now through whole the defund the police are now refunding the police and, right. you know, uh, trying to get more police to come back on board and stuff. And so I would say that's a false, that was a false zeitgeist. It's like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we thought that if we got rid of the police, then, you know, you know, maybe there wouldn't be as much crime, you know, it's like in how police add to crime or mm-hmm. brutality or, and all that kind of stuff is like, um, so there's, there's the way that you think things are mm-hmm. and then the way that things really are. Mm-hmm. So the false sight guys might be the way that you think that the way that culture thinks that it is thinks mm-hmm. about itself, maybe. <clears throat> Whereas you've got another layer, which is the way that the culture is actually, um, interacting with quote unquote reality. Mm-hmm. So the movement is defund the police and all of a sudden, Oh shit, crimes up 33% in the last year, basically across the board. Mm-hmm. Why did that happen? Oh, maybe we need to refund the police, even though it goes against the sort of movement of the previous wave of the zeitgeist. Totally. And and it not understanding where we've come from in the nineties, you know, it's like where I think it's ever since the nineties, crime has started to wane. Yeah. You know? Uh, so if you don't understand the spirit of the times, which is actually crime has been lessened, mm-hmm. you know, or even a larger picture is like, we are the safest and and this time of history in any part of history in any in any <laughs> across eons right, you know? right, right. it's like so you don't really understand the spirit of a time is that we are in this very comfortable place no yeah. matter your race religion i'm talking about the united states specifically social economic class now are there still problems yes mm-hmm. th- that's not the point though you know but understanding more of the trajectory that we're on you know yeah well, I think one thing that characterizes our maybe sort of the short term zeitgeist, at least over the last year, is is almost like a, a short sightedness. Mm-hmm. Like we seem to kind of be staring at our shoes a bit. Mm. Like we're really concerned about whatever the current thing to be outraged over is. Um, and it just makes me think of that yard sign you see that says, "In this house, we're still outraged." It's like <laughs> it's like there's social currency on outrage, and so mm-hmm. whatever you can be outraged about, you know, it's sort of the next thing, and you forget about the last thing, and then. You know, I think even like, you know, the George Floyd trials going on right now. And I think we kind of forgot about that for a while. Culturally, mm-hmm. it wasn't in the cultural consciousness. And then it sort of came back up and we're like, oh yeah, all right. We're mad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're kind of, uh, fixated on whatever the, the current outrage trend is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one aspect of it, but <clears throat> surely, and this is what it, maybe I'm curious about is like, there's an, there's gotta be more to the zeitgeist than that. Like what, 
what is our zeitgeist, um, you know, maybe the more fundamentals pointing to, or, or where is movement happening into something, um, a bit more towards the future. Yeah. I think I want to clarify something. Cause I, I, I use, I use the word false zeitgeist. It's like the spirit of the time can be positive and negative, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and so I, I want to be careful with that. It's cause it's really identifying what the spirit of the time is. I think when I, when I think of false, it's just, it's like a subpar adherence or, um, it's like, there's actually something this generation and this time is called to that we're not stepping into. And I think of that's like, like the deeper zeitgeist that is, um, almost calling to us. It's sort of like, this is your mission. If you so choose to accept it, you know, mm-hmm. like a mission impossible kind of thing. And, and we're not accepting that mission right now. You what know? do you, what do you think that call is? I mean, I think you can mm-hmm. kind of identify that in previous, uh, epics or Mm -hmm. epochs. Um, you know, the sixties was about space and Mm -hmm. the seventies was a bit about like breaking free of, of some tradition. And Mm -hmm. the eighties was about expression. And the nineties was a bit more about getting serious about some things. And Mm -hmm. then, um, you know, what, what is calling us? Mm. It's a really good question. I think that's, I think a lot of it, like, especially for you and I this year, was maybe kind of broadening our horizons of, you know, into politics, into social issues, um, where you and I are kind of a little bit more, uh, philosophical in our engagement, you know, is that happening in the, in the broader culture? I don't, I don't know. I think it's new to you and I. <laughs> well, I kind of think it is. Maybe so, yeah. Oh, I guess maybe Trump, Trump dragged us into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Over the last four years, everybody oh. was sort of obligated mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah. I mean, what about... Um, <clears throat> I mean, the idea of space travel is kind of up again. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure how much the broader spirit of the culture is paying attention to that, but that's been off off radar for a long time and it's kind of back on like you've got spacex doing some pretty amazing things every day you've mm-hmm. got the curiosity rover that just landed it's about yeah. to fly a helicopter on mars you what know the there's hell? plenty of things to be excited about there uh-huh. it, i don't know that it's captured the cultural imagination necessarily mm-hmm. but when i think about like what are things that we're kind of interested in as a culture that seem to be a bit more future looking forward looking um, that seems to be one. Mm-hmm. I think here in Austin, um, well, the idea of growth, I think is, is one. Yeah. Especially in Austin right now, it's, it's truly phenomenal what is happening. And I don't think we really understand that. And again, I find that everyone's looking at things that are important, but not it's out of proportion, you know, Mm -hmm. and we need to, um, I think if we re reposition ourselves, we'll be able to see those things that are important in a new light and actually help us solve them in relation to something that's bigger, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, I'd love to hear, think of an example on this, but it just, I, I kind of think of like a little bit of a navel gazing, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. we're just looking at these problems and we're just trying to solve these problems, but it's under this microscope and you can't see what's going on next door or 
two mm-hmm. blocks over mm-hmm. or how that fits into the bigger scheme of things. Um, and we were talking about this earlier, but uh, I feel like two symbols that are a part of the deeper zeitgeist, I think that is valuable and worth acknowledging is sort of like, and I'm, I'm speaking these more as symbols than the, the things themselves, but uh, Bitcoin and Elon Musk, mm-hmm. like I feel like they encapsulate symbolically something that is future oriented and to orient our present towards that future. Um, you know, everything from Tesla to SpaceX to boring, he kind of encapsulates this idea of like, I'm solving problems that are maybe not relevant today. And you hear that a lot of the tweets against Elon, you know, sort of like, it's like, well, why don't you fix world hungry? Yeah. You're the richest man on the planet. Why, uh-huh. you know, why are you focused on Mars or whatever? Mm-hmm. And it, again, he's kind of, wor- he's working on a different class of problems mm-hmm. and you could be mad about that. I think it's a valid position to have, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, he does seem to be one of the few people who is working on a different class of problems. Yeah. Um, I, but I think you're hitting on something with Bitcoin and, and the transformation of the digital space in general. Um, I wouldn't say this is part of our zeitgeist yet, but I think we're, I'm starting to see that we are already in, and we haven't realized it yet, a completely new era. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with digital currencies or digital assets and the, the, the concept of non-fungibility mm-hmm. in the digital space with NFTs. Um, <clears throat> and, and, you know, I'll add maybe an anecdote to this too, but um, how we understand the digital space is going to drastically change. Mm-hmm. And those of us who are talking about such things right now are going to be at a massive disadvantage unless we work really hard to catch up mm-hmm. because we are sort of immigrants into this digital space, into this digital world. The anecdote being like, like I'm fairly uh, against my children having like iPhones and being on social media, for example. And uh, uh, nonetheless, you know, disagreement between uh, parents, they have them and they're on it. And, um, you know, I maintain my position that I'm against it, but it's really interesting. So like my 10 year old, um, you know, I guess my fear is she'll stumble into the dark corners of the internet or whatever. But <laughs> the you, dark web. You know what actually happens uh-huh. is she learns how to make crafts and how to cook things. Mm. She'll be on TikTok and all of a sudden, like, bring me all this stuff she made. And I was like, where'd you learn to do that? And just, TikTok. So I learned it there. <laughs> it's like kids are getting things from the internet that I don't think we understand. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a new form of value that the internet wasn't that way when it started. Mm -hmm. Um, and add to the, add to that, the idea of asset classes as in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and non fungibility, which is almost impossible to wrap your head around. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it will be intuited by the younger generations in ways that is hard for us to imagine because we think, well, what is, what is something digital? It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, when we don't realize that that concept actually applies to everything that we think has value, totally. you, yeah. know? Uh-huh. Um, you know, it doesn't exist in, in its store of value. It's, it's imagined in its store of value, just like a cryptocurrency is imagined. Uh-huh. And once you can bridge that gap, you start to see, Oh, this is going to be massive mm-hmm. because there is, um, and it's going to change the way that we run our lives. Mm-hmm. 
and change the things that have value. You, put, you, I think, I feel like you laid that out really well. Like the things that you grew up that are part of your um, environment, you kind of start to take advantage, or you start to um, take for granted, mm-hmm. and as if they are a solid thing. You know, like a dollar bill. It's like, yeah. you know, I don't, I can't remember when I first was like, oh, this is just a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Like, I just give pieces of paper to people, right? Like. Well, you don't, you don't ever experience it that way. Mm -hmm. You, I don't think there's, it's not like you ever go through a shift. And this is why I say it's going to take us like people like us are going to have to catch up here. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to go through a shift. Mm -hmm. Whereas the younger generations aren't going to have to go through a shift. Just like you never had to shift from this is a piece of paper to this has value as a dollar. Yeah. Because it was only ever introduced to you as something of value. Mm -hmm. And you know, this goes in a bit to the, like the neuro, uh, maybe the psychology of consciousness and that whole sort of topic, but like, we don't see things for what they are. Mm-hmm. We see things for what they mean. Ah, uh, good point. So, damn, <laughs> you know, you don't perceive a cup as a piece of glass in a certain shape. Mm-hmm. You see it as a tool to hold liquid yeah. to transport to your mouth and you interact with it as such. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing about, you don't ever have to shift from like, that's a, that's a piece of glass to, Oh, it's useful as a cup. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, no, it's just useful. That's why you see it at all. Yeah. And I think that that's true of like the dollar and we're having to understand like how anything in the digital space could have value, you know, in one sense, it's kind of obvious. Like it obviously does have value. We spend almost all of our time in the digital space. Mm -hmm. So clearly if, you know, if it didn't have value, we wouldn't be doing that. Um, but we're going to have to go through that shift of, you know, why is it so hard to understand why Bitcoin makes any sense at all? Mm-hmm. You know, whereas I think the younger generation is just going to intuit. Like I got a, I bought some Bitcoin for my son um, just to see if he might be interested in learning about it and getting that into so it. That's so cool. And he, he was just like, oh, that's awesome. Oh yeah. It makes total sense. Like there was no like, cause he doesn't have these like very ingrained notions of where mean, where value properly resides mm-hmm. like we do. So he's just like, this is worth something. Oh, that's awesome. I can just, and I have it. That's great. Glad that I have it. Just like you might have a dollar, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to do any translation. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <clears throat> no, it makes sense because I can, I can use it and I can get something for it. Yeah. There you go. It's like, Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think, I think as such, uh, there's going to be something of a, is revolution the right word? Maybe. So. Maybe <clears throat> revelation. <laughs> yeah. Well, as we realize that these things have actual value, like value that can be traded, this is where the non-fungibility comes in. As as a as as the digital space starts to acquire the concept of trade mm-hmm. that is native to the digital space, there's going to be a revolution of creativity, mm-hmm. of businesses, of fortunes made and lost. Um, yeah. And I think that that's going to start like seeping into the zeitgeist of the next 10 years. Like I kind of wonder if we're going to see like, uh, uh, like another, uh, internet bubble, uh, you know, whenever the dot com bubble, cause like, you know, when the internet really took off, it's like all these people went, Whoa. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was things of value and there was things not of value, but it took a little bit of time to, yeah. to weed through those things. So, this whole cryptocurrency thing seems like it's another one of those. It's just going to take a bit of time to work through the things that do have value. Amazon, 
mm-hmm. PayPal, right? Uh, what are the eBay, things that are last? Yeah, mm-hmm. like oh yeah. That's why. That's why I think Bitcoin makes so much sense. Well, there's. I, I wonder if actually the paradigm shift is is so big that you mm. can't really describe it in terms of bubbles analogous to previous bubbles. <laughs> I saw a chart, uh, not a chart. It was like a, a um, illustration, comic almost thing. Because people, a lot of people say Bitcoin's a bubble and it's mm-hmm. going to burst. You know, it's going to go. Value's going to go down to zero. And yeah. And then somebody made the point that like, no, Bitcoin is the thing that bursts the bubble. Oh. Uh. Like we're in a bubble right now mm-hmm. and we don't even realize it because for instance, um, fiat currency, the dollar isn't a very good store of value. It's like if you have a hundred dollars and you just hold on to it, it's going to be worth less and less over time. It's buying power. Right. But mm-hmm. we, but we, we don't behave as if that's true. Yeah, totally. Because we use the dollar as the measuring stick against everything else. Mm-hmm. We measure everything as it's, worth relative to the dollar so that we don't see the dollar as changing value. Mm-hmm. You know, things might get more expensive over time, but it's easier for us, for us to think, well, you know, price of food's going up because quality of food's getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, price of goods are going up because quality is getting better. Or, it costs more to produce that. So therefore it's going to cost more. Right. Yeah. So we don't tend to see thing. We don't tend to see the, tend to see the dollar as, um, ha- as changing value. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of in a bubble in terms of how we store our value. And I think Bitcoin, I think it might be the right way to think about it. Bitcoin's going to pop that bubble and wake us up to the realities. I think Eric Weinstein put it really well when he said, you know, the problem of, of valuing Bitcoin is, is this exact problem. Like we tend to think of the dollar as a fixed value mm-hmm. when in reality, the dollar is just as volatile maybe as Bitcoin is, mm-hmm. or as it appears to be relative to yeah. the dollar. Um, we just don't see it because we measure everything with the dollar. Mm-hmm. But as a rule, as a measuring stick, the dollar is made of rubber mm-hmm. and uh, Bitcoin is made of metal mm-hmm. it's in terms of its ability to measure things. Yeah. So I think we might see, if I could predict the future a bit, I think we might see a, a flip to starting to, you know, it might take 10 years, mm-hmm. but starting to measure value not based upon traditional currencies, but based upon things, something like Bitcoin, which makes me think as, is, you know, even whenever you are hearing, uh, I think her name is Yellen, uh, the treasury, Janet Yellen, Janet Yellen, you know, talking about, a a global corporation tax. Holy shit. That gave me chills when I heard her talk about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is some end time shit. Like if you're like, (laughs) you you know, if you've read revelations, I mean, (laughs) we're already talking, like we're already like praising this global, currency, you know, quote unquote, I don't actually think Bitcoin is a currency. I think Mm -hmm. it's an asset class, but, um, but global taxes, that's a, that's a little nuts. Hey, just think about sovereignty, like even nations losing sovereignty to like a global tax, you know, it's like, uh, you know, what if someone doesn't, uh, doesn't, uh, um, take those taxes, you know, or what if, you know, it's like, there's just so many things that, that start to kind of like impede on the sovereignty of the, of the individual states. You kind of see it in the European union, which it seems like that's, that was kind of similar to the United States, but it's not, there's, there are individual countries. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's an interesting thing to consider because, <clears throat> I think Michael Saylor put it really well. So my, you and I listened to this podcast called the what is money show. Mm. 
where it's basically a nine hour interview with this guy, Michael Saylor, who's CEO of this company called MicroStrategy. It's probably more like four hours, but oh, right. guy, the, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I mean, so guy, so Robert Breedlove is the interviewer and, and he, I feel like I just, just for every two hours, it's him. like one hour of him interviewing the guy and then one hour of him just repeating what mm-hmm. he took from it. Um, Which was helpful, you know, in some I, degree. I, I, yeah. I would say if you listen to it, and I would highly recommend listening to it. Yeah. Like once you get done with the interview part, I just skip the rest because mm-hmm. I mean, you could try it. Like I, w- I made it through like the first three and I was like, I don't need to hear the second half. Yeah. So, um, but he makes the point that, um, all taxes are is basically like, okay, you're transporting goods and you dock in our Harbor. Mm-hmm. We're taking 30% of your shit. Mm-hmm. Like, and you have to for a government to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need a government. So, you know, it makes sense, but he made the point that, um, a, um, Oh, what's the, uh, what's the word for basically, uh, somebody who like not a pirate, um, buccaneer. No, uh, like trades illegally to get around taxes. It's like a shipping term. Oh, I don't know. Damn it. It's a really good point. Like (laughs) a smuggler. Oh yeah. Uh Basically all a smuggler is, is I want to go about my business and without you taking my shit, you know, but we think of smugglers as lawbreakers. Yeah. Right. Drug dealers. Well, cause they are. Yeah. But if you put it that way, you're like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Like why are people taking my shit all the time? You know, (laughs) we don't tend to see things this way. Mm -hmm. You know, we pay our income tax and we're like, yeah, you got to pay your tax, but it's, if you think about it that way, it's like, I ha- I got some stuff. Mm-hmm. I've got some stuff. And the government's like, see, you got some stuff. You should give me 30% of mm-hmm. that stuff, you know? And all the smugglers is somebody who just goes, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but as we move into value in the digital space, like, I don't think we know yet what it means to tax the digital space. Yeah. Um, because the digital space doesn't exist in a locale or geography, geographic location. Mm-hmm. So, what are we going to do with all this value? Um, and how are we going to distribute it? How are we going to tax it? How are our governments going to continue to exist? And they're going to have to continue to exist. So I think we got a lot to learn. I mean, the thing that makes most sense to me is like you buy something, a tangible something like that's the easiest thing to tax, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, even with roads, like, yeah, I'm not against toll roads. You know, it's like you're using the road pay the tax on that, you know, gasoline See, see I'm against that though, because we already pay taxes oh, that's true. for the road. Yeah. And then, yeah, the government isn't building that road. So a private company does it. Mm-hmm. And then we got to pay to use that one. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, government's not doing their job here. We pay for them <laughs> to build the roads. So just build the roads. Yeah. I guess, I guess there is a, I guess in an ideal way, if like someone's like, if someone goes and builds that road and then they use our money like if you use the road, then you pay for that, mm-hmm. the, 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 uh, ability to use the road. It's like, it's like, I get that, you know, but then it makes me start thinking of like, uh, uh, bridge taxes where like, you know, to cross this bridge, you must pay the tax. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Monty Python. It really is. It's, it's very, very medieval, like the, Renaissance uh, type thing. <laughs> airspeed velocity of an, <laughs> Swallow, laden or unladen. Um, <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, very interesting times. I think um, 
I think it's going to be quite a show mm-hmm. to watch. I think so too. I mean, like, again, I think that's why I would say Bitcoin is a maybe cryptocurrency in general, but I think Bitcoin encapsulates that symbol of the zeitgeist. One that we're not paying attention to as much as I think is, is what we need to, you know, whether it falls on its face or not, which I don't think it will, but it's telling something about our future. Almost every movie you watch that is set into the future, it's all crypto. That's how they pay for things. It's, it's a, it's a transfer of, of digital assets, Mm -hmm. you know, or digital payments, you know? Yeah. Um, well, we already live in that world. Yeah, true. We just conceptualize it as something different. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing we're going to have to figure out how to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, at least people who've been using, you know, the U.S. dollar for quite some time. Mm-hmm. I mean, a dollar is, is actually feels a lot more like a piece of paper these days than it used to. Mm-hmm. You know, if I've got some dollars in my pocket, I'm like, what are these good for? I'm, yeah. I'm, what am I going to spend these on? You know, I usually carry around a 20 or two in my pocket. And that's just like out of habit because it used to be that there was things that you needed cash for. Yeah. And it's just not the case anymore. You almost never need cash. Yeah. Almost even Coke machines nowadays are not even. Oh yeah. They take credit cards. Mm -hmm. So cash is almost worthless. Especially with COVID. It's been, it's been absolutely worthless. Yeah. Totally. Unless the, uh, electricity goes out and that's all you have to pay for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to get a little doomsday on that one, (laughs) you know, there's a, we are so reliant already on the digital space mm-hmm. that if you, if, if you were able to take out the electrical grid, for example, we would be so screwed. We wouldn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we already, it's already like covered as apocalyptic when it gets below, you know, it snows for three days in Austin. I mean, you know, the whole, all the stories are about people dying and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you know, if the internet goes down, for some extended period of time, yeah. it's not only do you not, you know, it's hard, have a hard time getting to the store and the store is low on food. It's like, nope, food stops coming. Mm-hmm. And the ability to exchange money is completely screwed. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that would be no good. Yeah. I mean, I just think about how much of my business has moved to some sort of app or, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, how often do people pay cash for coffee? Oh, it's it's been insane. So we started in 2006, and I would say our cash to credit ratio was uh, 60% cash, 40% oh, credit. Wow. Now That was 15 years ago. That's 15 yeah. years ago. Uh, and now it is probably 80-20. Hmm. 20 cash, 80 credit. With COVID, it's like 99, something like that, or 95 or whatever. You know, it's like... We're paying for everything online. I mean, Mm -hmm. even some of the last holdout restaurants in Austin that were cash only for a long time. And Mm -hmm. and one of my favorite restaurants here in town, they've been cash only forever. And, you know, they put it... Julio's? Julio's, yeah. yeah. They had an ATM that they put outside, which is genius, really, because they're mom and pop shop. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they get away from the credit card transaction fees and they get to charge you three bucks to take cash out of the ATM. And it's, you know, it's a win-win for them. But come COVID that wasn't going to work because it's all mm-hmm. online ordering. And so they finally had to switch over to square and now they take credit cards. Wow. That part of me goes to my mind. I said, like, how much did they, uh, report of that? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> there's that part too. Like, well, we don't want to throw them under the bus. No, I, no, no, I need no. those yeah, enchiladas and fajitas in my future for as long as I can. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say that. 
<laughs> but it is interesting. I mean, also as we go digital, it's like the our footprints also our digital footprints get bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, that's another thing that we're gonna I think contend with over the next decade is. Um, the concept of data ownership. Mm. I mean, as things start to have value online, yeah. and I mean, not just like services that you pay for, but like literal things mm-hmm. such as, you know, an NFT is the idea that you could own a piece of digital content, whether that's like a piece of art as in an image or mm-hmm. a, a, a audio recording or a video. Um, so what else in the digital space has value? Well, your data has value. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how Facebook makes money is yeah. by peddling your data to advertisers who want to use it to try to extract your dollars. Mm-hmm. So who owns that data? We uh-huh. haven't really contended yeah. with this yet. It's been talked about quite a, quite a lot in the tech world over the last several years. But um, as the general population wakes up to the fact that like everything I do online is tracked and that has a value to someone that should be my value. Like I should own that and decide when to extract the value out of it, mm-hmm. when to utilize it and leverage it. But we don't have models for that yet. We don't know what that looks like. Okay. So uh, I might've, I think I did send this to you, uh, but remind me what, 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 to, to send it, but to send it to you. But um, one of Pomp's podcast, uh, it was talking about that very thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not going to be able to do this just as well to bring this up next time. But the, the idea behind it is, is, uh, all your stuff is encrypted into the blockchain. I'm going to screw this up, but the, the fun foundation of this is really fascinating to me. And basically you pay a company that will, uh, validate your information and in you get, but you get to use their API for, to engage whatever it is that you're engaging in. So the person the, they don't actually get any of your information, because it's embedded, encrypted into the blockchain or some, some, I, I don't know how it works. Is this uh, theoretical or is this real? I, th- this, I think it's real. It's, it's huh. anyways, I, we'll have to, we'll have to listen to it and we'll have to talk about it. So we actually can come to this. It was really fascinating. When I was listening, I was like, Oh my gosh, I need to talk with Matt about this because this is phenomenal. I mean, there's so many little things about listen- pomp pomps podcast is really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just pomp.com or pomp podcast. <laughs> I mean, it makes, it makes sense. They're coming I mean, I mean we are, we're already doing that with concepts of like login with Facebook or login with Google totally. or Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're outsourcing our encrypted, essentially mm-hmm. our password so that we don't mm-hmm. have to give it to other entities, but mm-hmm. we rely on this entity to validate it. Um, so I think the idea is like it, instead of doing it through Facebook or Google, it's actually a blockchain encrypted type of thing mm-hmm. where no one can actually access your information unless you give, actually give them to, and, um, and then you could like actually get paid for that information maybe in the future. Yeah. But these are all, again, just young ideas that are trickling in because of, uh, that's why Bitcoin, I think is a symbol of that zeitgeist. I think it is. Yeah. I think you're Mm -hmm. right. Laser eyes, baby. Laser eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, but as a symbol, I mean, I, I, I'm hearing the most innovation on that side as as far as looking to the future and doing something different rather than trying to repeat the same things that are that are not working or have worked up to this time, but will not. It, it got us here, but won't get us there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, I saw that Eric Weinstein had said that, it, or it was Peterson. Ah, I know it was Eric Weinstein said that, and I was like, wow, that's really good. There's a lot of tools we have that got us here, and they're great. 
but they won't get us but to the next thing. Mm, they won't yeah. get us there. Hmm. You know, I think maybe one characteristic of our zeitgeist that we don't realize uh, with the, I think it's new. I mean, tell me what you think about this, but mm-hmm. um, we don't really think past our own lifetimes. Mm, that's good. Like it's, it's uh, uh, well, you know, a rare person who seems to do that. I mean, Elon Musk, I think is one, you know, and a lot, of, as you mentioned, a lot of people are like, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You yeah. need to be focusing on the here and now. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think, you know, a big part of like the American dream mm-hmm. was, well, it was not just your dream. It was your family's dream, your lineage, your kids, kids. <clears throat> yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, I don't think millennials mm-hmm. are thinking that way. I'm an, I think we, th- we don't even think that way. Well, I'm an elder millennial oh, okay. <laughs> or what is uh, your wife says we're the uh, Oregon trail generation. We're uh-huh. like a, a cusper. Yeah. Cusper. You're more gen X. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. It, well, you know, I think maybe it shifted within your generation mm-hmm. because I think there's, you know, the Elon, Elon Musk's Gen X probably in uh, Eric Weinstein's Gen X. And mm-hmm. they're definitely thinking about that. But I feel like they're more, they're, they're more sort of like sound the alarm kind of thinkers. Mm. Like, oh shit, like no one's thinking this way anymore. We need to keep this torch alive. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I don't think millennials are thinking that way. And I don't think Gen Z is thinking that way at all. Mm-hmm. I think Gen, Gen Z measures times and measures time in, uh, <laughs> nanoseconds. <laughs> well, in, in likes and views. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even my youngest daughter, she sort of like, will look at her likes before she goes to bed and then look at them again in the morning. And she's like, they went up by this <laughs> amount. And you know, there's meaning in that. Mm-hmm. I, well, and hence one of the reasons I really don't want her on that. <laughs> like I want her rooted in the real world. Um, uh-huh. Uh, but I get the sense that uh, even my perspective on that is going to become antiquated really quickly. Hmm. I mean, we're going to be the old folks that just don't understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of value for society in those people and businesses and institutions that can start thinking and then casting vision further than, a year or two years, mm-hmm. you know, even casting vision 10 years is really hard. Um, but if somebody can cast vision that is generational, it's almost impossible. It may be <clears throat> one of the reasons we're losing it and is because we've, we've kind of, we're kind of post religion mm-hmm. as a society and religion. It's easy to think generation generationally in, in a religious context. It's not so yeah. easy to think that way. Um, well, for lack of a better term, in a, in a secular society. Mm-hmm. I mean, the argument to that would be like, um, we have a natural inclination to pass our genes on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a um, biological evolutionary. Um, but but that's being affected, though, by exactly. the current state of the world. The like, well, it's, it's not, I mean, it's mm-hmm. in reality, like um, the younger generations are having far fewer children. They're having much less sex. They're coupling up much less. Mm-hmm. It's like they're starting to have sex much later in life. Mm-hmm. They're starting to have kids much later in life. They're having much fewer kids. Yeah. Um, so whatever that natural inclination to procreate is seems to have been affected by what we've done over the last 40 years. And I'm sure there's myriad reasons for that. Like, <clears throat> I mean, 
could be anything from modern diet to just mm. the existence of the internet. Um, well, I think it even goes back to like where we started the pandemic. It was a narrative, mm-hmm. you know, the story that we're telling ourselves where I don't think there's as convincing of a story that tells you and shows you the generational aspect of life, you know, where, you know, everything from where you had your kids with your grandparents and your parents in the same house. Right. So there was a tangible aspect to that. Or even like Alice was talking about, like she really wish, wishes that like our girls could be around, <laughs> this sounds hilarious, but older women's naked bodies. You know, it's like, or well, I, think even that, I think that came from a story my mom was telling about being in mm. Japan and going to the, visiting oh, yeah. the bathhouses there mm-hmm. and, and noting how <clears throat> you would see young girls with their mothers mm-hmm. around older women and everyone's naked. And what does mm-hmm. that mean? What is that for a young girl mm-hmm. to see all of the different sizes and shapes and ages mm-hmm. and, and, and to be present, you know, at one time mm-hmm. with this is what bodies are. Yeah. You know, we don't really have that anymore mm-hmm. and we glorify youth so much, mm-hmm. you know, it's even wild. It's like these days, most, uh, prominent or maybe famous women who are in their fifties, you look at pictures of them and you're like, you look 30, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And probably a lot of surgery and whatnot. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. Mm-hmm. Um, surgery is one, but maybe not the primary one. I don't know. Yeah. But we don't really have a good concept, working concept of like what it means to get older and what an older body looks like. Mm -hmm. Or even, I think we've kind of lost some value for, for our elders in general, in the Mm -hmm. current zeitgeist. Um, You know, maybe it's, we're so fixated on youth and we think that's where all the value is, which is maybe a strange thing to say with a 78 year old president, but (laughs) it does, I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody's taking him seriously anyways, but, um, I do feel like when I think about what does the culture say about the value of different stages of life? Like when I think about sixties and seventies and eighties, I don't, I don't think the culture has an answer for that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, Hey, good. You're still alive. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. And we even talk about our grandparents that way. Yeah. Like if you, you know, if you're in a group of people and grandparents come up, what are people going to say? Well, my grandmother's still 88 and she's, you know, still, still sharp and mm-hmm. kicking and she, she'll outwalk me, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, really, that's all, that's the value mm-hmm. of an 88 year old woman. I'm pretty sure she's probably got some seriously wise shit to say about stuff, mm-hmm. but we don't really ascribe that value to that stage of life anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely not the elder, elder aspect to our, our culture in the United States, the West. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you still see that in Eastern and Middle Eastern cultures, you know, the, the value of the elder. Mm-hmm. Um, even in some instances, you know, uh, from what I understand in some Asian cultures, uh, is there's almost an overvaluation on eldership. I think that's changing more and more. Uh, or the individual, the youth, is sort of not as... Um, acknowledged or recognized, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think that is also changing in those cultures, you know? So I kind of wonder if, I wonder if we'll, we'll kind of flip flop, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. But <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, Elon Musk, I think he's the other symbol of our, um, 
zeitgeist, the, the, the future thinker, mm -hmm. the, um, what is tomorrow dreaming? I'm beyond. having trouble seeing how that's a part of the zeitgeist. I mean, it's something that's super inspiring and, and compelling. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think that it captures the spirit though? I do. Okay. Well, again, it comes back down to like a false zeitgeist versus what is the underlying, what is the zeitgeist that is sitting underneath that could arise at any time, you mm -hmm. know? Okay. Uh, which I think that I think Elon kind of encapsulates that idea of, you know, something cool happens to him. He's like, Oh cool. Thanks. Back to work. Yeah. You know, he's, he's just really focused on something that is bigger than what he's capable of, than what there's technology for, you know, and that's, and that's something that has been kind of the American spirit is sort of like go West young man, you know, yeah. uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, manifest destiny and, and obviously you can switch, you can shift that. <laughs> I want to like problematize it already, but I won't do that. I won't go there, but there, it's more about the understanding, even like Texas in general, you know, it's like everything's bigger in Texas you know, we've kind of got this pioneering spirit here. And, uh, like, I hope those people who move here also benefit from that because that's a real, I think that's something that Texas specifically has to give to the world as I think each state has and each person does in that area. But I feel like in Texas, it's like, you know, like I thought with the, the hurricane Harvey, you know, it wasn't, you didn't hear anything like, Oh, come federal government and help us out. We're like, Hey, get your chainsaws. You know, it's like, <laughs> let's it, go. Yeah. And it's like, I just saw all these people going down to Houston and Galveston and like, you know, it's like, there was a whole lot of talk about like, you know, we're going to sit around and wait for the federal government to bail us out, you know? Mm. Yeah. And there's that, I think that spirit is really, um, alive and I hope it stays alive in Texas. That's true. There is something, um, decisive in the spirit of Texans. Mm hmm shit's gone wrong. Well, all right. I know how to fix it. Let's go. Or yeah. maybe I don't, but we're going to figure it out. Yeah, we're going to go. <laughs> well, there was a Grab really, the <laughs> to bring it back to Elon, there was a, a great Twitter exchange and this was a while back. So he moved Tesla very abruptly out of California. Mm -hmm. And right around that time, one of the like mayors or senators or something from California tweeted something negative about him and like at replied a minute. And then he replied and just said, message received and then left <laughs> like took his thousands of employees and his, you know, like manufacturing plants and everything. And was just like, we're going to Texas mm -hmm. and something about the decisiveness of that. And the, and like the ability to be, um, kind of funny about it too, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. is great. You know, it's like, did he make the right decision? Well, I would guess probably, but you know, when you're making a decision like that, you don't know, yeah. you know, it's a, big deal. It mm -hmm. can really negatively affect your company. Yeah. Um, so I would hope, well, maybe I hope this for myself and for my community more broadly, and then hopefully for society that we can learn to be, um, a bit more, uh, risk tolerant and mm -hmm. decisive and, and, and learn to be wrong mm -hmm. and say, Hey, you know, message received. It's like, no, no sweat. I'm, taken off. <laughs> it's like, you know, and there's, there's going to be, I think it's kind of happening a lot in California. And I think there's going to be some negative, um, that's going to hurt California quite a bit. The, 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 the economy and the, the mm -hmm. 
income of the state. But so it's kind of funny on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, you bitch at the richest man on the world and then he takes all of his assets out of your state. It's kind of like, he kind of deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. I, again, but there's something about how he goes about things is, is there's a, more symbolically, I think is, um, something to pay attention to. Um, I think that's what you and I, I think is our thinking has been changed over the last year. Um, you know, again, like there's, there's these things that happened when we landed that little Rover thing on Mars, you know, it's like, we're like, well, that's so cool. A helicopter. No yeah. one's talking about this. Right. You know, or the the starship that does a fucking flip. <clears throat> it lands yeah. and it blows up, but it still is like, what the fuck? That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Was that CGI? It's like, that was not CGI. It's no, like, that's real life. It's real life. Um, like, well, I think why is anybody else amazing? I liked the term you used earlier, the nasal gazing. It's like mm. nasal gazing. Navel gazing. Navel gazing. <laughs> <laughs> took me three tries. <laughs> um, it's like we're too concerned with Instagram or... or, mm-hmm. or I mean, it's too simplistic to say, but again, like outrage and mm-hmm. what there is to be outraged about that. I think we, we really are doing ourselves a disservice by focusing on that at the expense of what there is to be in awe of mm-hmm. and to what there is to celebrate. Or even what the possibilities are. Yeah. You know, like we're so focused on our limitations, you know, <clears throat> uh, and specifically our, you know, perceived or real self limitations, you know, it's like. I can't do this because I have this or I don't have this because I can, I am this, you know? Yeah. And it's like, well, what do you have? What are you going to do with it? You're responsible for that. Nobody else is. Mm-hmm. What do you have? Everybody has something. And some people have more than others. You know I mean? There's a whole parable about this, you know, <laughs> which is, which is hilarious. It's like, you know, I, I think sometimes like, I think it's the hardest thing too, is we sometimes compare ourselves to other people and that, and that makes it hard, but I will say without a doubt, and I will, I do not have any qualms about this is everybody has something to share with the world. And if you tap into that, that will grow exponentially. Hmm. The more and more you tap into what you specifically hold. And a lot of times it seems so small, but it's really not. It's like, once you start scratching on those things, I think you'd be amazed to see what, what actually grows from that, you know? And I think even like, um, like I've died. One thing I've been amazed was just like, you know, my wife and I opened Medici in 2006 and today I've got eight shops and a roasting facility. I would never have thought about that, but also, you know, we stepped out and took a risk and kind of took a lot of risk along the way. It almost crashed and <laughs> burned many times, you yeah. know, uh, but you gotta also be, and I've also failed at a, quite a few other businesses too, <laughs> but you have to learn to fail too, I think. But I was trying to find, uh, as a quote and I can't remember who to attribute it to. And I know so I'm leafing through my journal here. I, it's one thing I like about, uh, writing in a paper journal is that like grounds your mind in, in spatial reality. Oh, interesting. So it's like, I, I like this about reading physical books too, mm-hmm. as opposed to like a reading on a Kindle Totally, is like your brain maps memories to places on a page. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of leaf through something and cause you know where it is mm-hmm. sort of like how many pages were in your left hand and how many were in your right and whether or not 
it was like the top and what the paragraph yeah. looked like. And so you can find things. I couldn't find it. It didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> well, there was theory. a, it's like, I want to attribute it to um, Anne Frank, but I don't think it was Anne Frank, but the, the, uh, the quote was something like, um, how much better, how much, how quickly would the world become better? How much better could it be if at the end of every night, everyone sat down and wrote down everything good that happened that day. Hmm. And well, you were just talking about the idea of like, there are certainly things to be fixed and certainly things to be uh, concerned about or outraged about to complain about, to remedy sins and justices. But there's also like, anyone can sit down and write down something good that happened, mm -hmm. something good. And if we were to purposefully shift our attention towards that, <clears throat> how much more of that stuff would start happening? Yeah. Again, that's a, just another theme is like, you know, what you, what you, uh, put your attention to or what your gaze is toward, you know, it's like, there's, you know, I, I always think, I think Trump is a really great example of this. Um, what I always like to ask somebody that they're really just completely a Trump hater, like name one good thing he did. Mm. You know, I think that's because like, if you can't name one good thing he did, then you're probably not you're listening or yeah. having, cause like you, you're probably a bit blinded. Mm -hmm, exactly. It's like, I mean, it's the same thing. Like if you're, if you're frustrated with your kids, you know, it's like, it's like, once you kind of like can like at least see one good thing that they've done or you can, it shifts your gaze to where all of a sudden you don't just see all the problems. Totally. You see maybe even some solutions like, Oh, mm, actually yeah. he really gets into this. Well, maybe I could like get into that with him and that would help our relationship. Or, and it would maybe solve some of the like laziness problems or, <laughs> you know, it's like inject yeah. a little motivation. Oh yeah. Cause like when I come home from work, I'm like, there's always wrappers and stuff everywhere, like and stuff. And I'm like, guys, just pick up your stuff. Like you eat it and then you throw it in the trash. <laughs> like, uh, like I'm really like that. Like you haven't figured out that doesn't work yet. <laughs> I know. I know exactly. But in my mind, I keep doing that. Yeah. But you know what? Nothing's changing. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I have to, I need to look, I need to find a different, a different way. Right. <clears throat> you know, well, just off the top of my head, I, I haven't solved this problem either. <laughs> it's like, what if instead of saying that you say, Hey, I noticed you threw away one piece of trash. That was really good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, there's 17 other ones that you didn't do, but it's yeah. like bring their attention to that, you know, and then maybe they'll realize, Oh, I could do that with the other ones. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm going to try that. I'm going to give that a week. I'm going to give that a, a right. week uh, experiment. Check back in with us. Uh -huh. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, there's there are so many things to be in awe of and to be celebrated and to be fascinated by and inspired by, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> I really hope that becomes more a part of our zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because it there's this part two and Peterson kind of gets into this. Like you almost, you, you, in order to see the good, you also have to be able to understand how horrible it could be. Mm. Um, so there's this temperance that happens where, um, like he, uh, I just started his new book and, uh, 
he was just talking about how um, if you never face adversity or if you don't understand how bad or evil people actually can be, it's like you kind of blow up things that are not as bad into really something that's horrible, you know? Mm -hmm. Like if you've never been in an argument before and you're in an argument, it might have been a small argument, but it's like, oh my gosh, it's horrible. It's mm, bad. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, because we experience things relative to mm-hmm. what we know. <clears throat> he, make, he makes the point. I think this is kind of where you're going with this, but that, you know, in a sense, we all live in a, in a walled garden. Mm. There you go. You know, you, you build a, a wall around a garden to protect it. So it stays nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you, you live there long enough you don't really know what the wall's protecting you from anymore. Hmm. And he uses the analogy of like, well, we're sitting here having a conversation and we're sitting on this floor and no one is worried that the floor is just going to fall out from under you. And well, why is that? Well, you don't know. Cause you've never considered it. Mm-hmm. Like that's how walled our garden is, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's that way because we have skilled carpenters who are so skilled that it's not, we aren't worried about it. It's that we don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. And, and we have a government structure that implies regulations and rules that, you know, mandate certain levels of um, permitting and, and requirements for work. And then all of these layers of society that are hidden underneath things that you don't even think about. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you, you don't even know what's on the other side of the wall. You don't even know what to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. If that wall were to come down you would have no idea what to even conceptualize as a threat. You know, Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're seeing that in a tangible way with the border right now, you know, Biden comes in and basically takes away all the things that Trump put in on that, uh, is all his policies and stuff like that. And all of a sudden we're seeing this surge at the border again, uh, depending on who's reporting on this, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but again, it's like, you know, you're seeing the same language cages versus detention camps. You know, it's like you know, the, and then they're also starting to build, start the projects back up that they were going to, they were, they were stopping of the, you know, building the wall and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's like, it's like, we don't even understand why we have a wall to begin with. And mm-hmm. again, it's whether tangible or, you know, conceptual wall between the United States and Mexico and also Canada. Well, that's really interesting because you get so, it's hard, so hard to even talk about because you get so steeped in the counter narratives. But oh, gotcha! Yeah. I, I think <clears throat> maybe one lesson to take away from that, in in context of this conversation, is like be careful not to be disingenuous about the story you tell about structures that you don't understand. Mm. You know, I think the wall was <clears throat> the wall is an interest. You know, the wall between the U.S. and Mexico is an interesting example of that because. Yeah you know, Trump wanted to build this wall. Mm-hmm. Well, it isn't as if there wasn't a wall and yeah. he wanted to build a wall. Like that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. There was quite a bit of wall and he wanted to build more, mm-hmm. you know, but the story for him <laughs> to sell was I'm building a wall. We need a wall, which mm-hmm. implied that there wasn't one. Yeah. And then the counter response to that was something like you're a <laughs> xenophobic racist. Mm-hmm. We don't need a wall. Let's tear it down. As if we don't have a wall, <laughs> but we already did. Uh-huh. So then either side of the argument risks, well, obfuscating why it's there in the first place. I think mm-hmm. it was Chesterton that said, um, uh, 
if you come across a fence, don't tear it down unless you can tell me what it was put up for. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if you don't know why it was put there, then you probably shouldn't be taking it out. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's just too much risk. Yeah. Cause you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're opening yourself up to. You don't know what structures and systems are keeping your life livable mm-hmm. that you're about to, to destroy. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was listening to uh, Joe Rogan and Crin, uh, Dan Crenshaw talk about this, and specifically on the wall type stuff. Hmm. And um, it's like, why, why you want to have something that keeps that divide is so that you have a system to bring people into the United States. It's like, do we want immigrants in the United States? Yes. But there's a system for which they can go through. So if you start allowing other people in and they'll go through that system, you're doing a disservice for those people who are taking the effort and time to do that, to come into the United States and to be a part of a, to be a part of this, you know, society, um, which uh, to me makes a lot of sense. So that's the reason why you have a wall. It's not to keep people out. It's to be able to assimilate people into this country <clears throat> in a way that is beneficial to them. And they don't get, they don't slip through the cracks. Don't have to go through, you know, whether it's maybe sex trafficking or, mm, yeah. you know, um, poverty or whatever it might be, you can get ingrained or get assimilated into the United States in a way that is good and healthy for all of us, you know? Yeah. Well, you could make the case that it's inhumane not to let people in, but it's also inhumane to let people in in a disorderly fashion. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're seeing that, you know, whether you call it Trump's cages or, Biden's whatever, you know, I mean, to the the people who are Mm -hmm. in it, it's the same exact thing, Yeah, you know, and it's sort of just as inhumane. Mm -hmm. So you need, you need some order there. Mm -hmm. And whether that's a wall or some other mechanism, I mean, could have a valid argument and debate about what that should be, but there should be, uh, it seems obvious that there should be something, Mm -hmm. you know, some procedure yeah otherwise you know well you don't know what happens otherwise Mm-mm. you know there's the video of like people just tossing babies over a fence you know why are they doing this you don't know mm-hmm. they're clearly desperate or uh, malevolent i don't know mm-hmm. it's like you don't exactly know but clearly that's not an acceptable thing to happen so what do we do about it yeah also just the complexity of it too, uh, which I think that's, I think that's again, why I think Elon is a, is a symbol of the, what the zeitgeist should mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. is like the complexity of going to space, but you got to shoot higher than that. You know, you can't just like, I'm going to make a rocket to shoot people. Like, I feel like he gets that. Like, no, hmm. we're going to colonize Mars. Like, like, could you come up with a bigger, you know, it's like, yes, you could. You could be like, I'm going to shoot. We're going to send a, uh, a never ending spacecraft into the, and look for another planet that we could inhabit in the future. Well, we're not there yet. So it's like, it's gotta be just absurd enough, but not too absurd, you know, yeah. uh, to, you know, and to along, cast your vision. Well, it's so interesting because along the way mm-hmm. towards this seemingly impossible goal, you accomplish a bunch of other things that no one was else was able to do. I mean, such as like 
bring the ability back to the U.S. to transport people and goods to the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. You know, for the past, what, 20 years, we've been relying on the Russians for that. Mm-hmm. They're not exactly our ally. Yeah. Um, the fact that we were able to keep that relationship intact to make that happen is pretty great. But Or the cost effectiveness of shooting all those satellites <clears> into, the, into the atmosphere in order to provide internet for yeah. the world, oh, basically. Right. That's just a side effect. That's a, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like oh, well, I'm up there. Might as well just... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like... Starlink, that's uh, what that Starlink, is. Starlink, there yeah. he is. I was going to say Neuralink, but that's the other thing. The other thing. He's got so many things. He's got so many things. Yeah. yeah. He's just our own... Uh, our own real life Batman. <laughs> I like that. Except so much cooler. <laughs> I think you would like that. Like, Hey, what's up, Bruce Willis? Yeah. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Willis. Bruce. Uh, what's Bruce's last name? Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. There you, you go. Took me a second. You, you threw me off with Bruce Willis. I was like, my mind started searching the bank for like, did Bruce Willis ever play a Batman? Cause that'd be kind of cool. Uh-huh. I just saw Die Hard. That's <clears> oh, I love Die Hard. Uh-huh. Man. Well, this has been good. I feel inspired. Yeah, I did too. Can I throw a wrench real quick? Sure. I don't know if I want to, but I might. Well, because I, I, I want when I when I think about these things again as symbols, Bitcoin and Elon. Um, I think it's really good to have it tempered with malevolence, malevolency, malevolence, <laughs> malevolence. Um because I feel like it gives us a perspective that, that there is really bad shit in the world, you know, but we have to aim higher, you know, we have to like go for the deeper and more, you know, keep, I mean, I I feel like even there's a zeitgeist even under Bitcoin and Elon, you know, as symbols, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, we have to keep trying to get underneath that to find those things that are deeper to move towards, you know? Well, so what is the malevolence piece? Like there is malevolence in the world and it should be attended to mm-hmm. and not ignored and not ignored. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like along the way, it should be a part of those goals. You know, it's like mm-hmm. why, like it's, there's a part of it. That's a part of the Bitcoin narrative or symbol, you know? Well, maybe that's uh, an actual observation about our zeitgeist is that mm-hmm. we are, we're so polarized in our narratives Mm -hmm. that it's like racism is the biggest problem that we face Mm -hmm. or racism doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. There's not exactly like a large narrative. That's like, sure. There's race relations problems, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not the most important thing. Mm -hmm. It's very important. We should, pay attention to it and deal with it. But you know, it's like, it seems to be true of so many of our, our issues. It's like, it's either the most important thing Mm -hmm. or the counter to that, which is that it's like probably not all that important at all. And it's like soy milk. Like at one point in the coffee shop, it's like soy milk saves the world. Mm -hmm. And then, no, actually, soy milk takes up more water, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Oh, like, shit, we were wrong. It's yeah. bad. <laughs> now it's almond milk. Almond milk. Yeah, I mean, that's... I keep finding these, like, we, we identify these problems. It's like, well, no, there's there's problems in that. And we should, you know, it's like, we should look to fix those things. But, like, we want to, like, make something that has problems the problem. Mm. The We want to say that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And if we could only fix that problem, then everything would be better. Yeah, which is not that simple. <laughs> 
well, it's, it's fairly immature. Uh-huh. Um, interestingly enough, I think anyone who sort of grows through their thirties probably knows that, mm-hmm. but our culture doesn't seem to know that yet. Well, I think it goes back to what you're speaking of at the beginning is like, we have this sort of fountain of youth, um, this, this, um, youth is king kind of thing that we don't value the elder part Mm -hmm. of our society that can tell us like, yes, that is a problem. And they can also explain to us the history. Well, when I was a child, this is what it was like growing up in the fifties and the sixties and give you perspective of where you are in the 21st century. You know, I think, um, I mean, it goes everything to, you know, your kids are going to tell you what to do, you know, like I identify as this. It's like, well, you're four years old. You know, it's like what someone said, like you just identify as a a robot yesterday. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's like you you have to be careful. What is it today? But are there real Um, issues in those areas? Yes. There's real issues in the areas. But at the same time, it's like kids are, you're the adult. Well, it's just, it just makes me think like, if I could ask you a simple question, you know, you're you're in your early forties. Mm-hmm. It's like, do things get better? Uh, so, well, you know, imagine when you're 14, mm-hmm. 14 sucks. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> everything's hard. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, do things get better? I mean, well, in some ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In other ways they get much harder, mm. you know, or just take parenthood for, for example, you know, you're, you're, raising a baby and you're just not sleeping. Oh yeah. Do things get better? Well, yeah, you're going to start sleeping more, but then you're gonna have a toddler Mm -hmm. and that kid's going to be an ass (laughs) and And it's going to start kicking you and biting you and disobeying you. And you know, do things get better? Yeah. But then they're going to be interested in shit, you know, and it's going to be a mess everywhere. And it's like, do things get better? Yeah. But then they're going to be angsty and, you know, start actually breaking laws and, you know, it's, Maybe the point is, maybe I'm responding to that idea of like, this is the problem. And if we fix this problem, then everything's going to be better. It's like, don't be so foolish to think Mm. that you understand the problem. Or maybe don't be so arrogant Mm. to think that you understand a problem so well that you're going to be able to fix it. And that's not going to create other problems. Mm -hmm. Like your solution, it has to be that way, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, you can make something better, but you don't know what's going to get worse in the process. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the res- the reverse, I think, of the don't tear down a fence unless you can tell me what it was put up for. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, well, you might build a fence where there was none to solve a problem, but you don't know what problems that fence is going to now create. create. Yeah. Uh-huh. So maybe some... Um, humility is in order mm-hmm. whenever we think we know what the problem is and how to solve and it. how to solve it. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. All right. I think that's good. I, I, I kind of, uh, I'm, I'm sorry that I took us from that like high note, but no, I think I, that was a good place to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I think I'm, I've lost the flow state though. So I think it's good. Yeah. A good space to end. It was good. Yeah. Zeitgeist. Zeitgeist. Elon, Bitcoin, yeah. Shores of Ignorance. <laughs> See you guys. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. Bye.